They tell the kids to think critically. Boys and girls, there are 20 kinds of amino acids. That's true. They make up proteins. Explain how this fact supports the idea that all life shares a common ancestor. No, that fact supports the idea that all life has a common designer. I bet you could go to the library and find all the books in the library contain the same 26 basic letters. Yep, that proves everything evolved from Morse code. <laughs> no, that proves that's the, that's the code with which you write English. And the 20 amino acids is the code with which you write proteins, okay? If God didn't make it that way, we're the same 20 same amino acids, then we couldn't digest other things. Think about it. They tell the kids that the human and the chimpanzee are related. The human and the orangutan are 96% similar. That proves a common ancestor 15 million years ago. Well, this is baloney. Barney Maddox, the leading, leading genome researcher, he said, the genetic difference between human and his nearest relative, the chimpanzee, is at least 1.6%. That doesn't sound like much, but calculated out, that's a gap of 48 million nucleotides, and a change of only three nucleotides is fatal to an organ animal. There is no possibility of change. Kids, when they tell you that you have proof for evolution because the human and the chimpanzee are similar DNA, they're confused or they're lying to you. Actually, they've now discovered the difference is much greater. It's now 95% similarity instead of 98.6. We've got tons of material on this on our website. Folks, complex things require a designer. And yet they tell the kids that humans and chimpanzees are similar. There are thousands of differences. But even if there are some similarities, so what? Then they tell the kids fossils prove evolution. This textbook says fossils provide evidence of evolution. This is a lie. No fossil counts as evidence for evolution. But the textbook here says evolution is a fact. The fossil record provides some of the strongest evidence that species evolved over time. There is no fossil record. You don't look back in the fossil record, you look at fossils. You put your interpretation on them, okay? They don't have a date with them in a card that says this one was, you know, made 47 million years ago. There is no such thing as a fossil record. How do we fall for such a dumb idea? But the textbooks are always saying fossils can contribute to the understanding of evolution. Darwin said, if my theory be true, numberless and immediate fossils must have existed. Boy, there must be a bunch of them out there. I agree, Charlie, there ought to be a whole bunch. This book says, since Darwin, many links have been found. Well, they're dreaming. David Ropp, who has a huge fossil collection, American Museum of Natural History, I believe, or Field Museum in Chicago, I forget which one he works at, I think it's New York. He said, in the years after Darwin, his advocates hoped to find predictable progressions, you know, missing links. In general, these have not been found. Yet the optimism has died hard and some pure fantasy has crept into textbooks. <gasps> fantasy in the textbooks? You've got to be kidding. Oh, no. Evolution is based on fantasy. We could spend hours talking about there are no missing links. There just aren't, folks. These quotes are all on our website about how evolution is not supported by fossils. If you find a fossil in the dirt, all you know is it died. <laughs> you can't prove it had any kids. And you sure can't prove it had different kids. And why would you think a bone from the dirt can do something animals today can't do? Hey, they say we evolved from an ape-like ancestor. Okay, apes are still having babies. Let's, let's do it again. I want to see it this time. We don't observe any evolution. Luther Sunderland wrote to major evolutionists all over and said, hey, where's the evidence for evolution? I want to see it. They all wrote back and said, we don't have it. Somebody else has it. Colin Patterson has the access to the largest fossil collection in the world, British Museum, Natural History. Patterson wrote a book about evolution. So Luther read the book and said, hey, I read your book, Mr. Patterson, but you didn't show us any missing links. Where are they? Patterson said, I fully agree with your comments on the lack of evolutionary transitions in my book. If I knew of any, fossil or living, I would certainly have included them. I will lay it on the line. There is not one such fossil. See, folks, there's not a missing link. The whole chain is missing. So they got a new theory now to explain why they're missing. Stephen Gould said the absence of fossil evidence is a nagging problem for evolution. He knows there's no evidence for evolution. So he's got a new theory. He kind of brought up Goldschmidt's old theory that said maybe the first bird hatched from a reptile egg. Do what? He says, yeah, you know, maybe evolution happened so quickly that there's no evidence. 
Oh, well, that's good, you know. We don't have any proof, so that proves it. <laughs> Try that one in a court of law. See how far you get. They tell the kids to think critically. Boys and girls, the fossil record shows that an organism evolved through many small changes over time. That's a lie, by the way. Which theory best describes organisms' evolution? Gradualism or punctuated equilibria? How do you think it happened, boys and girls? Was it slow changes like Darwin said, or was it jumps like Stephen Gould said? In their mind, there's only two choices. Evolution happened slowly or evolution happened quickly. They do not seem to be capable of thinking outside the box. It didn't happen at all. I debated Pigliucci at University of Tennessee, Knoxville. I said, Dr. Pigliucci, you have studied and taught courses on the evolution of plants for 10 years. You received and spent $650,000 in grant money to study the evolution for plants. What is the best evidence you know of for evolution? I asked him that in the debate. He said, the evolution of whales. <laughs> Just exactly what kind of plant is a whale anyway, hmm? He told me the hippo is evidence for evolution because it's in the process of adapting to an aquatic way of life. It likes the water, so that's proof for evolution. He said the flying squirrel is evidence because it has half a wing. He gets tax dollars to teach. See, every evolutionist I've talked to thinks that the evidence is in somebody else's field. It's like a shell game. You ever seen those shell games, you know, they put the pea down there and try to get you mixed up, where's the pea? The geologist thinks that the biologist has the evidence. Pigliucci is a botanist. He thinks that, you know, the anthropologist or somebody else has the evidence. They're all spreading the blame. The only problem is there's no P under any of them. There is no evidence for evolution. None. They tell the kids, we've got evidence from the horse evolution. This is a bunch of baloney. They arranged a bunch of animals in a fictitious order. It's been proven wrong 50 years ago. They don't tell the kids that the so-called ancient horse had 18 pairs of ribs. The next one had 15. The next one had 19. Then back to 18. These are not even the same animal. It's a pure imagination arrangement of these creatures. They're teaching this in textbooks all over the world. There's quite a variety of horses today, folks. Big ones and little ones right now. But back in 1950, G.G. Simpson, who believed in evolution, said this evolution of the horse family was unintentionally falsified. The evolution of the horse was all wrong. Over 50 years ago, it's proven wrong. It never happened in nature. Why do they keep putting it in the books? In South America, the fossils go backwards, the wrong way. They don't talk about that. They're never found in the order presented. The whole thing is imagination. But it still is taught in the books to help give the kids evidence for evolution. The Tulsa Zoo finally took down their display after Dan Hicks wrote letters. Here's the letters right here. He wrote letters to the Tulsa Zoo and said, why do you still have the evolution of the horse on display? And they wrote back and said, we don't have the funding to remove it. <laughs> Come read the letters. Dan went and got a bid at a sign shop. Here's the bid right here. They said, we will put up a sign that says, this, evolution, this display is not correct. And we'll take it down as soon as we get enough money. 62 bucks for the sign. So Dan went and said, hey, here's the quote, fellas. I'll pay the 62 bucks. When would you like the sign delivered? Nothing happened. They said, we've got to take this to the board. Well, the board got bored because they never did anything. Finally, he collected 2,000 signatures. When it made the evening news that the Tulsa Zoo was lying to the kids coming through, the display was gone the next day. <laughs> but I just found out recently, they put it back up. What's a zoo doing teaching evolution anyway? See, the evolutionists are pushing their religion at every tax-funded opportunity they can get. Peabody Museum still has the horse evolution on display. I stood there by that display as hundreds of kids came through. Stood there for quite a while. School group after school group after school group came through. Was never told this was proven wrong 50 years ago. You go get the textbooks used in your county schools or your city schools. It's still in there, folks. It's not true. That page ought to be torn out of the book. Just because you can arrange animals in order doesn't prove a thing. Even if you find them buried in a certain order, that doesn't prove a thing. If I get buried on top of a hamster, does that prove he's my grandpa?
Now they tell the kids dinosaurs turned to birds. Yeah. The Bible says the birds are made on day five, right? Reptiles made on day six. Evolution has it backwards. Everything about the evolution theory is backwards to the Bible. And why some Christians try to compromise the two, I don't know. But they don't blend together. The scientist says, dinosaurs alive as birds. Scientist says, oh, wow, scientist says, it must be true. Wow, scientist says, you know, bow down, everybody. <laughs> 1999, USA Today announced, missing link of birds is discovered. National Geographic, missing link, breaking news. We got it, folks. A huge article on how dinosaurs turn to birds. A couple of months later, uh, oops, fellas, we got lied to. Somebody in China made the fossil. It's a fake. We could spend hours talking about this, the dinosaur to bird. All those fossils coming out of China are real suspect. Those guys make, you know, $3 a year if they work real hard. What if you work two years and make one fossil you can sell to the Smithsonian for $4 million? You and your whole family are set for life. <laughs> and somebody over here is dumb enough to buy it. In case you don't know, there are a few differences between a dinosaur and a bird. You don't just put a few feathers on them and say, come on, man, give it a try. It won't hurt too bad. <laughs> you see, birds have feathers. They have two legs and two wings. Reptiles have four perfectly good legs. If he's going to evolve to a bird, somewhere along the line, his front legs are going to be half wing and half leg, which means now he can't fly and he can't walk. He's got a problem. Who's going to feed him during this transitional stage? Hmm? They say Archaeopteryx is evidence of evolution. Alan Fiducia said, Paleontologists have tried to turn Archaeopteryx into an earthbound feathered dinosaur, but it's not. It's a bird, a perching bird. And no amount of paleo babble is going to change that. Archaeopteryx means ancient wing. They'll say, hey, see, he's got claws on his wings. Yep, I see that. They'll say, see, that proves it used to be a dinosaur. No, it does not. Twelve birds today have claws on their wings. The ostrich does, the Hawatson does, the Turaco, the ibis, the swan. It's not proof it used to be a dinosaur. They're going to say, he's got teeth in his beak. That proves it used to be a dinosaur. Well, now, slow down. Very few birds, Archaeopteryx and Hesperornis, the only two I know of with teeth. But, oh, the hummingbird also has teeth. Some hummingbirds do. But going from teeth to no teeth is losing, not gaining. I mean, some, some birds have teeth. Most don't. Some reptiles have teeth, some don't. Some fish have teeth, some don't. Some of you have teeth, some don't, okay? <laughs> Here's the hummingbird with little bitty teeth in his beak right there, 48 teeth in the Andes Mountains. Not proof for evolution. They say bird feathers evolved from the same scales that protected the dinosaurs so well. This is silly. Bird feathers are incredibly complex. Now, feathers and scales are both made of the same protein. It's called keratin. I understand. But that's where the similarity stops. Battleships and forks are both made out of the same metal. That proves they've all evolved from a tin can. <laughs> feathers and scales are extremely different. There's plenty of evidence about that. Birds have a different lung system than reptiles have. Birds have different heart than reptiles have. By the way, how can Archaeopteryx be a missing link when fully formed birds were already present? This one shows a 130 million year old crow. No, I disagree with 130 million year old stuff, but if birds are there before dinosaurs went extinct, we got a real problem here. Here's a 140 million year old bird, 142 million year old bird. There are plenty of other re reasons to refute the dinosaur bird connection, said Alan Fiducia. How do you derive birds from a heavy earthbound bipedal reptile that has a deep body, heavy balancing tail, and four shortened forelimbs? Biophysically, it's impossible. Here's quite a few problems with the bird theory. They have lungs are different. Their modern birds are already in layers lower than dinosaurs. The scales attach to the body differently than the feathers do. Birds have a four-chambered heart. Most reptiles have three. Birds lay a different type of egg than reptiles. There are just thousands of differences. There is no fossil evidence of how reptiles change to birds. That is such a silly idea. Uh, who's right and what do we do? Richard Dawkins said, it's absolutely safe to say if you meet someone who claims not to believe in evolution, that person is ignorant, stupid, or insane, or wicked. 
Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. You don't have to lay your brain at the door when you go study God's Word. You just bring it along. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Look, the most reasonable thing is to believe God created this world. It's logical and intelligent to believe in a creator and in a young earth creation. I debated Ken Miller on the radio once. He wrote this book. He writes, he's a professor in biology at, uh, in Rhode Island at Brown University. He said, evolution is controversial in certain circles. And some people wonder why biologists insist on teaching it. The answer is simple. Evolution is the most powerful statement ever made about living things. No, evolution is the most silly statement ever made about living things. Had to be designed. Evolution is not a fact. It doesn't even qualify as a theory. It's a, not even a hypothesis. It's a metaphysical research program. It's not testable science, Karl Popper said. Julian Huxley, Thomas Huxley's grandson, said, I suppose the reason why we leapt at the or origin of species was the idea of God interfered with our sexual mores. Oh, now we're getting to the truth. Some people don't want God telling them what to do. That's the bottom line. Arthur Keith said, evolution is unproved and unprovable. We believe it because the only alternative is special creation, and that is unthinkable. We don't want to think that maybe there might have been a creator. I agree with this guy. He said, evolution is a fairy tale for grown-ups. The theory has helped nothing in the progress of science. It's useless. Muggeridge said, I'm convinced the theory of evolution will be one of the great jokes in the history books of the future. Tell you what, folks, it is a joke. It is silly, but it's effective. And Satan's been using this since the Garden of Eden when he said to Eve, ye shall be as gods. That's what evolution's all about. You can evolve and progress and improve to godhood. It's rejecting the Creator and putting man in his place. The devil is a liar. Why would they lie and keep this in the books? Well, some people think that if everyone believes in evolution, it'll become true. You know, majority opinion. Some people think they must teach the lie to keep the paycheck coming in. Hey, if you go against evolution, you're likely to lose your job at a public school. Some people understand the bigger picture of how evolution is the formation, the foundation for the new world order. We cover lots more on that on part five. Why do they believe this? Well, some, that's all they've been taught. I spoke in Russia, and all they have over there are the same evidences for evolution that we use over here. That's all they're taught. There's a good book if you want to give to somebody who believes in evolution. Uh, it's called The Case Against Darwin. I've got one here on the table somewhere, yeah, down there. That's a good uh, starter for those intelligent folks that just have time to read a short book. It's a real good one to get the message out. When I spoke in Russia, I spoke over there, and there were 30 professors in the room. I spoke for two hours on creation through a translator. After about an hour, one professor was crying. And I asked the interpreter, I said, uh, <clears throat> what's, he, what's he crying about? And she said, he's never heard the creation story. He didn't know there was one. He wants you to keep going. Some just simply hope there's no God to answer to. The Bible says they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, so God gave them up to a reprobate mind to believe those things which are not, do those things which are not convenient. Okay, practical steps. Most teachers that I know are sincere, dedicated professionals. They are not the enemy. They're just simply teaching what they've been taught. Educate them. Teach them the truth. Teach all the kids the truth. See, we can reach everybody at the grassroots level. They can't stop that. Second level, educate all the teachers. Third level, change the textbooks. Fourth level, change the laws. Oh, while we're waiting for that, let's start at the bottom and let's just change all the people. Some people say teachers can't teach creation in public schools. That's a lie. They can teach creation in public schools. There are no laws against it. We cover all that at the beginning of tape number five. It's perfectly fine to teach creation in public schools. The Bible says, from the invisible things to the creation of the world is clearly seen. They are without excuse. If you're here, if you're watching this tape or listening to me speak, and you've accepted the evolution theory and rejected the creation, of God made this creation, the Bible says you are without excuse. All you got to do is look around and see there's evidence there was a designer. And He loves you, but He hates your sin. The Bible says God is angry with the wicked every day. You're going straight to hell the instant you die if you've, if you've not accepted Christ as your Savior. I deserve to go to hell. Whew, man, 
but I'm not going because I've been forgiven. You can have the same thing. If you're not sure you're going to heaven, nothing else matters, folks, because you're going to be dead for a long time. I'd encourage you to call out for God's mercy right now. Say, Lord, would you please forgive me and save me right now? Bible promises, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Reach at Romans chapter 3, 23, Romans 6, 23, Romans 10, 13. God loves you. He wants you to come to heaven, but he hates your sin, and you're going to hell that quick if you don't have Christ in your life. If we can be any help, please feel free to give us a call. That's what, we, that's what our ministry exists for, to help people come to the Lord. We hope you've enjoyed this video series on creation, evolution, and dinosaurs. Much more important, though, than knowing all the truth and facts about science is to know the truth about whether you're going to heaven or not. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, uh, let me explain quickly what you need to do to go to heaven. The Bible says we're all sinners. We've all broken God's laws. We've disobeyed the Creator. We've, we've done wicked things. We're sinners. Some are worse than others, at least in man's eyes, but we've all broken God's laws. And the Bible says you have to repent. The word repent means to turn. It actually means two things, to turn from your sin and to turn to God. God's looking for a change in your attitude where you say, Lord, I don't want to do wrong anymore. I'm sorry, I've offended you. I want to do right. And you turn from sin and you turn to God and say, God, would you please forgive me? Would you save me? The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You need to admit you're a sinner. Number two, the Bible says in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. We deserve to die and go to hell because of our sin. But Jesus died for you. He loves you. He wants you to come to heaven. And anybody that will ask him for the free salvation, God will give you the gift of eternal life, it says in Romans 6, 23. It's a free gift. And it says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you would just call and say, Lord, I'm a sinner, would you please forgive me? And ask him. He will give you that free gift of eternal life. Why don't you just pray with me right now and you could receive Christ as your Savior. There's no magic words. God's looking at your heart. But if you could say this and mean it, God would forgive you. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I've broken your laws. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Please apply your blood to my account. And forgive my sins and take me to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says, if you call upon the Lord, you shall be saved. So if you've asked the Lord to save you, He promised He'd save you. Now your job is to grow. Read your Bible, pray, get involved in a good Bible-believing church, and begin to grow to be a good Christian. Thank you so much. Call or write if we can be any help at all. We'd be glad to help. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was empty, a formless mass cloaked in darkness, and the Spirit of God was hovering over its surface. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that it was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. Together these made up one day. And God said, let there be space between the waters to separate water from water. And so it was. God made this space to separate the waters above from the waters below. And God called the space sky. This happened on the second day. And God said, Let the waters beneath the sky be gathered into one place so dry ground may appear. And so it was. God named the dry ground land and the water seas. God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land burst forth with every sort of grass and seed-bearing plant, and let there be trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. The seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And so it was. The land was filled with seed-bearing plants and trees, and their seeds produced plants and trees of like kind. And God saw that it was good. This all happened on the third day. And God said, Let bright lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. They will be signs to mark off the seasons, the days, and the years. Let their light shine down upon the earth. And so it was. For God made two great lights, the sun and the moon, to shine down upon the earth. The greater one, the sun, 
presides during the day. The lesser one, the moon, presides through the night. He also made the stars. God set these lights in the heavens to light the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. This all happened on the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created great sea creatures and every sort of fish and every kind of bird. And God saw that it was good. Then God blessed them, saying, Let the fish multiply and fill the oceans. Let the birds increase and fill the earth. This all happened on the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth every kind of animal, livestock, small animals, and wildlife. And so it was. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, and small animals, each able to reproduce more of its own kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make people in our image to be like ourselves. They will be masters over all life, the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the livestock, wild animals, and small animals. So God created people in his own image. God patterned them after himself, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and told them, Multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Be masters over the fish and birds and all the animals. And God said, Look, I have given you the seed-bearing plants throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given all the grasses and other green plants to the animals and birds for their food. And so it was. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was excellent in every way. This all happened on the sixth day.
You kids are going to be told in school that your appendix is vestigial. You don't need it anymore. Oh, that's a lie. Your appendix is part of your immune system. You do need your appendix, okay? It's true you can live without your appendix, but you're going to have a greater chance of quite a few diseases. Just because you can live without something doesn't mean you don't need it. You can live without both your legs and both your arms and both your eyes. This one tells the kids the whale has a vestigial pelvis. It says many organisms retain traces of their evolutionary history. For example, the whale retains pelvic and leg bones as useless vestiges. What's this talking about? The National Center for Science Education, all four of them working in this little storefront building, call themselves the National Center, you know, big name, little bitty building right there on, in Berkeley, California. They say, Bossy, the cow, evolved to the whale, but the cow did not evolve to the whale. This textbook says, the whale has a pelvis that has no purpose. Hmm. They have hind limb bones that have no function, Holt Biology 2001. Just imagine whales walking around, it's true. What are they talking about? They're talking about those little tiny bones right there. It says the whale's pelvis has no function. Hmm. The whale's pelvis is evidence of its four-legged, having a four-legged land-dwelling mammal as an ancestor. Those little bones are part of the whale's reproductive system. Whales are pretty big, you know. That supports different muscles. The whales cannot reproduce without those little bones. It has nothing to do with walking on land. It has to do with getting baby whales. So the guys that are writing this are real, real ignorant about whale anatomy or they're lying to your kids trying to make them believe a theory. There are no vestigial organs and if there were, that would be the opposite of evolution. We have in our museum a 15 and a half foot python snake skin. Way down near the south end of that snake, you'll see little tiny claws. I was in a debate with the president of the North Alabama Atheist Association. He got up in front of God and everybody. He said, folks, we got proof for evolution. Humans have a tailbone they no longer need. I said, Mr. Patterson, I taught biology and anatomy. I happen to know there are nine little muscles that attach to the tailbone, without which you cannot perform some valuable functions. I won't tell you what they all are, but trust me, you need those muscles. I said, now, if you believe the tailbone is vestigial, I will pay to have yours removed. <laughs> this textbook says the coccyx, the tailbone, is a small bone at the end of the human vertebral column. It has no present function. And it's thought to be the remainder of bones that once occupied the long tail of a tree-living ancestor. They told me when I was a kid, man used to have a tail, but he lost it because he didn't need it. That was the teaching that started me believing in evolution when I was about nine years old. And later I thought, wait a minute, lost it? because we didn't need it. Have you ever thought how handy a tail would be? Have you ever come to the door with two sacks of groceries? Huh? Man, you could open that door right up and walk right in there. You could drive down the highway and hold that can of Coke and tune that radio knob all at the same time. <laughs> Lost it because we didn't need it. Come on, that's a lie. We've been offering a quarter million dollars for a long time for anybody with any real evidence for evolution. If you've got some, show me. But quit lying to the kids. I tell people, those lies ought to be torn out of your book. I was in a debate one time and I mentioned, look, that page ought to be torn out. It's not true. The one professor, when I got done, said, now, Hoven, I don't think we should deface textbooks. I said, well, sir, if you were teaching math and you came across a book that said two plus two is five, what would you do? He said, oh, I'd tell my students to mark off the wrong answer and write in the right answer. <gasps> you would deface a textbook? I said, now, sir, if you came across a biology book and you do teach biology, and the book said the embryo has gill slits, you know it's not true. And it says the tailbone's vestigial, you know that's not true. And the whale's got a vestigial pelvis, you know that's not true. What are you going to tell your students? He said, well, nothing. I said, you're not going to warn them it's not true? You're not going to tell them to tear the page out or you just mark it out? Oh, no, no, no. Everything used to support evolution theory has been proven wrong. God created the world in six days, the Bible says very clearly. Textbook says it's over billions of years the world got here. Somebody is clearly wrong. The Bible says God created all things, Revelation chapter 4. Heaven is my throne, earth my footstool, God said. Hath not my hand made all these things? The Bible's real clear that God made the world. The Bible says He formed the eye. Charles Darwin said in his book, To suppose that the eye could have been formed by natural selection seems, I freely confess, absurd. How can blind chance make a seeing eye? After saying this, Darwin went on for the next couple of pages to try to explain how he thought it might have happened. Anyway, he still believed it, but he said it was clearly absurd. The back of your eyeball is about one square inch, and yet it contains 137 million light-sensitive cells. 
How would you like to be the electrician to hook up 137 million connections in one square inch? Uh, my Heavenly Father did. He's pretty smart, ain't he? I got a call from an atheist one time. They actually did a debate on the radio. He said, Hoven, you're dumb. He said, don't you know the eye is an example of poor design? I said, really? He said, yeah, it's wired backwards. He said, the blood vessels are in front of the retina, and the light coming through has to go through the blood vessels to hit the retina, and it blocks out some of the light. He said, the octopus has a much better eye because their blood vessels are behind the retina. I said, well, sir, let me explain a couple things to you. I said, uh, we live in the air. Air does not block UV light very well. And UV light will destroy your retina. So you have blood vessels in front of your retina to block the UV light. Now, octopus live in the water. <laughs> water blocks UV light. So they don't need the blood vessels in front. They can actually see better underwater than you could. But if you want to swap eyes with an octopus, go ahead, because in a few days you're going to be blind. So we are designed just fine for living in the air, and they are designed just fine for living in the water. What they're trying to say is God wouldn't have done it that way, so it must have evolved. But it's a dumb argument for evolution. Arguing against creation is not proof for evolution. This textbook, though, says, the complex structure of the human eye may be the product of millions of years of evolution. Why doesn't God get the glory for what He made, huh? This textbook shows two different types of animals' eyes. And it says, boys and girls, you can better understand how the eye might have evolved if you picture a series of changes. In other words, you have to imagine how it happened. That's because we never really observe it. You just imagine that it happened. That's not science, folks. You can imagine all you want, but that's not observable, testable, demonstrable. It's a lie. The eye is far too complex to have evolved from anything. It had to be designed. The Bible says, God formed the eye. That's the only way I can explain it. Somebody extremely smart had to make it. Science deals with things we can observe and test and study and demonstrate. Okay, if something is designed, like the eyeball or anything else, it demands there was a designer. If you find a painting, that is evidence there was a painter. If you find a building, that is evidence there was a builder. If you find a watch, that's evidence there was a watchmaker. If you see a creation, that's evidence of a creator. Whether you ever meet him or not doesn't matter. Design demands a designer. The Bible says the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. They are without excuse. But they became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. They didn't want to glorify God. So they chose to believe the obviously silly idea that we all came from a rock. See, Satan knows anybody that really studies science with an open mind is going to be drawn to the Creator. And he's worked really hard in the field of science to draw people away from the Creator. That's why he's worked in that field particularly hard. I like to show this picture to evolutionists, and I'll say, fellas, this is, as far as I know, you know, Mount Rushmore, this is the world's largest rock group. <laughs> hey, if you know of a bigger one, I'd like to see it, okay? But that's the biggest one I've seen. I say, fellas, do you think there's any possible way these faces could have appeared on the rock by chance? Do you think the wind could have done that by abrasion or exfoliation or thermal expansion of the rock or erosion? You know, what caused these faces to appear on the rock? They'll say, well, Mr. Hovind, these were designed by a guy named Borglum. It took him a long time to make it. I say, okay, now let me ask you a question. Do you believe George Washington himself was a product of chance over billions of years? They'll say, yes. I say, wait a minute. You don't think his face could appear on a rock, but you do think his whole complex anatomy with 50 trillion cells could happen by chance. Are you dumb in any other area? <laughs> Had to be designed. But see, they avoid using the word designed in textbooks. Watch this carefully. They say, boys and girls, notice how plants are adapted to their environment. They say gills are an adaptation to living in water. Why don't they say designed? By the way, how did the fish live before they adapted the gills? Hmm? Oh, well, you see, for millions of years, none of them lived. They all died. <laughs> oh, is that how it worked? Yeah, that'll work. 
They avoid that word design because then some kid's going to say, who's the designer? And that might bring up an embarrassing situation in class, so let's just avoid using the word design. They tell the kids, yes, life evolved from non-living material. Look at this one. The Bible says God created the living creature. Textbook says the history of life began on earth 3.5 billion years ago. How this occurred has been and will continue to be a topic for inquiry. Let me give you the Hovind translation. It's okay to inquire how life evolved. It is not okay to inquire if life evolved. That's what they're trying to say to the kids, isn't it? Hey kids, it's okay to do research on how we evolved, but don't you dare question the fact that we did evolve. Miller and Urey wanted to know how the Earth and solar system had come to be. So they made an experiment 50 years ago. It said he never proved how life originated. But he did add evidence to the theory that life could have started by itself. This is a lie. Miller and Urey's experiment, and everybody since then, has made the problem much worse. See, Darwin thought a cell in your body was a little simple sack of jelly. Now we know cells are incredibly complex, and life could not have started by chance. The origin of species was not addressed in 1859 and is still a mystery in 1998. Both the origin of life and the origin of major groups of animals remains unknown. They don't know how life got started. But the textbooks will tell the kids, life got started from non-living material. This one says, many important events occurred during the Archean era, the most important of which was the evolution of life. Progress from complex molecules to the simplest living organism was a very long process. Oh yeah, let's put time in there, that'll help. This textbook says the first self-replicating, or first living cells emerged between 4 billion and 3.8 billion years ago. There is no record of the event. <laughs> we know what happened, kids, and you're going to be tested on this, but uh, there's no proof. He says the first self-replicating systems must have emerged in this organic soup. That's a lie. There's no proof of, from any field of science of how life got started from non-living material. Now, if you want to believe it evolved, you just enjoy yourself, but don't call it science and don't tell people you know how it happened. Nobody does. Haeckel, during his confession at the G University of Jena, said, spontaneous generation must be true, not because it had been proven in the laboratory, but because otherwise it would be necessary to believe in a creator. Oh, you're right about that, Ernie. Must have been a creator. So a question, have scientists really produced life in the laboratory? Here's the experiment they did. Miller and Urey took gases. They took methane, ammonia, water vapor, and hydrogen, circulated them through some glass tubes, and ran a spark in there to say this is like lightning. At the bottom, some red goo developed, and so they filtered it off and saved all the red goo at the bottom of the flask. They said the goo is rich in amino acids. This is a lie, okay? It was not rich in amino acids. It's interesting to notice they excluded oxygen from the experiment. They didn't want any oxygen in there because they knew if they had oxygen, anything they created would oxidize. You know, you cut the banana open, lay it on the table, it turns brown, it oxidizes. If you don't paint your car, it oxidizes. It's called rust. They didn't want any oxygen there because it would destroy any life that evolved. The problem is, if you don't have oxygen, you can't have ozone. And ozone blocks UV light, and UV light destroys ammonia. And ammonia is one of the gases. So if you don't have oxygen, life can't evolve. And if you do have oxygen, life can't evolve. Got a real serious problem here. And by the way, the Earth has always had oxygen. Even if you believe the dumb geologic column, the lowest layers have oxygen. This guy says, what, evidence, what is the evidence for a primitive methane ammonia atmosphere? The answer is there is no evidence for it and much against it. In general, we find no evidence in the sedimentary distribution of the rocks of oxygen-free atmosphere. Don't let them tell you that's true. But this textbook says, yes, boys and girls, back when there was no oxygen, 0% oxygen, the rocks absorbed it. You say, what? There was no oxygen, but the rocks absorbed it. <laughs> and then two billion years after the origin of life, there was enough oxygen to support the eukaryotes. Oh, ah, slowly evolved to today. This is pure propaganda. What Miller did in his experiment, and Yuri, and everybody since, they filter out the product they produce. This is not realistic for nature. What they actually made was 85% tar, 13% carboxylic acid. Both of those are toxic to life. Now, if you make an experiment that's 98% poisonous to the other 2% you're trying to make, would you say that's a success? Actually, what he generally made was two amino acids. There are 20 necessary for life. 
He made basically two in a poisonous mixture. He filtered out the product. That's not realistic. What the, he made this amino acids, but they will bond with the water and the tar and the acid much quicker than they will bond with each other. Amino acids are sort of like letters of the alphabet. You know, there are 26 letters in the English alphabet. With combining those 26, you can make all kinds of words if you get them in the right order. You can also just drop letters and make a whole bunch of nonsense stuff too, you know. He made a few amino acids. It's like making a few letters of the alphabet. There are 20 amino acids required to make proteins. He just made a few of them. These amino acids are like letters. It takes a bunch of them to make paragraphs. It takes a whole bunch of them to make a book. And to make one living cell takes trillions of these amino acids in precise order. The experiment was a fraud. It's a lie. It's a fake. It didn't, didn't work. Don't let them tell you they made life in the laboratory because they never came close. This textbook says, all the many forms of life on earth today are descended from a common ancestor found in a population of primitive unicellular organisms. There's no such thing as a primitive unicellular organism. And then it says, no traces of those events remain. This textbook says the humans, the birds, and the crocodiles have a common ancestor. Isn't that the impression they're trying to get across? Look, folks, everything inside that circle is pure religious speculation, not science. They might want to believe that, but that's not science. It's a lie. It's based on pure imagination. Anybody that teaches that is in trouble when they stand before God. Jesus said, if you destroy a child's faith, you're in serious trouble. Read Matthew chapter 18. Then they tell the kids, because something is smaller, it is simpler. Smaller is not simpler. This ant is holding a microchip in his mouth. That microchip can process every letter of the Bible 200 times per second. Smaller is more complex. I'll show you. Let's compare the brain of a honeybee to the NASA Cray computer, the YMPC-90, at one time the world's fastest computer. The Cray computer is huge. The brain of the honeybee is tiny. The Cray computer did six billion calculations per second. They estimate the honeybee's brain does a thousand billion per second. The Cray computer uses many megawatts. The honeybee uses 10 microwatts, extremely efficient. The honeybee can fly a million miles on one gallon of honey. Let me see you make a machine that gets a million miles per gallon. The cray cost $48 million. The honeybee's brain is pretty cheap. You splat them on your windshield all the time. <laughs> Many people scramble when the cray breaks down. The honeybee heals itself. The cray weighed 2,300 pounds. Honeybee's brain doesn't weigh too much. Let's see, what can we conclude? The supercomputer was huge, slow, inefficient. You had to babysit the dumb thing. But everybody knows it had to be designed. Right? There's nobody with half a brain that'll tell you the cray came from an explosion in an electronics factory. <laughs> it was designed, okay? And yet they turn right around and think the honeybee evolved. And the brain of a human is a lot more complex than a honeybee. A lot more complex. Did you know your brain is capable of a memory capacity of storing all the information of the British Library? And it has a computational speed in bits per second equivalent to the entire national telephone system. Just in three pounds of gray matter. It's estimated there are more connections in your brain then there are electrical connections in the world. How many times have two wires been put together and crimped or soldered or clamped together somehow, wire nutted, in the world? Your brain probably has more than that in the number of connections. Just one brain. Every, just about every debate I do, they'll say, DNA proves evolution. Oh, let's talk about this. This textbook says we have evidence from molecular biology, talking about the DNA, deoxyribonucleic acid. This book says Darwin speculate, speculated that all forms of life are related. This speculation has been verified because of DNA sequences. This is a lie. There's nothing about DNA that has helped verify evolution. The DNA is the most complicated molecule in the universe. One DNA strand is about six or seven feet long. 
Average person in this room has 50 trillion cells in their body. Each of those contains 46 DNA strands, except for the gametes, they got 23. If you took all the DNA out of your body, it would fill about two tablespoons. But if you unwound it and stretched it out, this really complex, tight molecule would stretch out, and you could tie them all together, and one person's DNA would stretch from Earth to the moon and back five million round trips out of two tablespoons. It's got the most complicated code ever in the history of the world. If you typed out the code found in your DNA, when you got done typing, you'd have enough books to fill Grand Canyon 40 times. David said, I will praise thee, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. He didn't even have a microscope, and he could figure it out. You know, from conception to birth, the baby adds 15,000 cells per minute to its body, each one more complex than a space shuttle. How would you like to be in charge of supplying materials for a factory that's producing 15,000 space shuttles a minute? Some of you ladies are thinking, I did, man, that's hard. <laughs> Sometimes in the middle of the night, they want pickles down there for something. What do you want a pickle for? I don't know, but go get one. Must be building something that needs part of a pickle. Who knows, you know? You know, the probability of one DNA arranging itself by chance has been calculated to be 1 in 10 to the 119,000th power. That's a big number when you consider the entire visible universe is 10 to the 28th inches in diameter. DNA does not prove evolution. DNA only shows how complex life is.